there will be times when you seemingly face insurmountable obstacles, but that's when you dig deep into your soul for the courage and the fortitude to keep going and to never, to never forget that despite life's detours, you are destined for greatness. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Stage Podcast. Uh, today's episode is the season finale of season four. Uh, we have finally arrived. If you had told me uh, back in 2019 when I was partnering with my our executive producer, Carl McIntyre, uh, and creating content to launching our podcast in the midst of a global pandemic in, in 2020 to partnering with Pharrell Williams and Black Ambition to having amazing conversations uh, with uh, phenomenal people across a variety of different industries, entrepreneurship, politics, education, media, uh, acting, you know, the list goes on and on. And, you know, I'm just super grateful. I'm grateful to be able to, to do this podcast and to be able to, you know, contribute something to the world. And today uh, we have an amazing guest, uh, Michelle Gee. Uh, she is the CEO of Ebony Magazine. Uh, you know, I'm all about legacy and Ebony has an incredible legacy of being able to be a, a staple in the black community. And as it, as it you know, builds into the new world and, and what that will be and, 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 and creating a stake in the ground, Michelle Gee is, is leading that. And so I'm thrilled to be able to say that uh, we have uh, the CEO of Ebony on, on the podcast today. And I think that, you know, you all are going to really, really love this episode. She is just truly brilliant and I'm thankful for her time. So without further ado, this is the Black Stage. See you next season. Okay, on the podcast today, we have a very special guest, a legend, an icon, a leader in the media business, and I am so privileged that she has taken the time to speak with me today. Michelle G., how are you doing? Well, listen, I'm not old enough to be a legend, so you need to just, let, listen, what else, what other term can we use? It's good to legend be Legend in the making. Yeah, exactly. Thank, thank you for having me. Uh, y'all, Brennan is my cousin through my friend Coco. <laughs> so we all family here today. I am thrilled to uh, to be able to chat with you today. And, and I know you're like super busy. Michelle just came back from a red eye and went straight to the computer to chat with me. Um, you know, so, I, you know, this podcast, again, is all about the journey. We're, we're talking about individuals who have truly, you know, risen and, and been able to like do so many amazing things. You know, people see you as like this, this thought leader, this trailblazer, this person who runs an iconic brand. But I really want to kind of start with the Michelle front from back in the day, uh, the Michelle who who got, you know, her start where she started and, and we can kind of work our way to the now. But, you know, who was that Michelle and, and who, what was she like back then? Well, let me see. What what do people what would people be interested in? Um, let me just say that, you know, everyone's life is a journey and it really doesn't matter uh, where you come from. It, it matters you know, where you're going. Right. And, and the things that you do along that way and the learnings that you, you pick up. So I'm a little girl from Oakland, California. So, you know, culture has always been a really big part of my life, my, my journey, my family, the community that I was raised in, um, you know, work, working at 12 years old for my dad, who was a car salesman uh, by day and an entre entrepreneur by, by night at his community restaurant. 
Um, and then, you know, like a lot of teens not focused and went through high school and did okay, play a little basketball, got a little three pointer. Yeah, come on now, y'all didn't know that. Um, <laughs> play ball. And uh, and then, you know, just just not not focused and went through high school and didn't go to college right away. And it was um a pivotal moment for me because I kind of felt like a failure. All my friends were going to college and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So I got a job and worked. And then the story would have it at 26. I uh, God presented himself to me and said, get your crap together because this is ridiculous. I built you for better. And so I um, then got myself together a little bit. But yeah, you know, being from Oakland um, taught me a lot about survival, about um, being relentless, about being assertive, about understanding the power of relationships, understanding the power of of um, being black and smart and brilliant and not, you know, not allowing people to, to push you over or, or treat you any kind of way. So I learned a lot from the community from whence I came. Mm. Do you, do you feel like you still carry a lot of that, that Oakland, Oakland-ness with you to this of course. day? Of course you can't, you can't shake Oakland. Oakland is like the town is just something that's a, a part of my, my DNA. You still go back? Sometimes. Not as often because uh, when my dad passed away, my grandmother passed away, my aunt is really the only, I have some cousins there and stuff, you know, like my aunt is really close. My brother lives in Phoenix. So, you know, I have so much business in LA that I go there more often. Um, Whenever I go to Oakland, I have friends there. I took my son there to train with um, some folks um, that are great, great trainers. Chris Farr, my son is a basketball player. He's now a freshman in high school. So I go back every once in a while. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Do do you think that um, that, you know, coming from such a such an amazing background, it sounds like your father was an entrepreneur and a businessman, um, was really managing multiple things and also, you know, taking care of his family. Do you feel like that hustle mentality kind of like seeped into you because your dad? Oh, yeah. Listen, I always I tell everybody in my household, my husband, my daughter and my son, all of them are so smart, but I got more hustle than all of them. Uh, you know, they got the brains from him and and I pray some hustle for me. Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, working at 12 years old just taught me a lot. And, you know, I look at um, my children, I'm like, man, like I, I need them to have that hustle. And they, they're just growing up in a different way, right? They have more access and more liberties um, than I have. And so you have to tr- kind of force that into the equation so that they too understand that there is nothing, nothing that beats hard work on mm. um, having a plan and executing that nothing. Mm. So, yeah, I don't think there's anybody on the face of earth that, that can outwork me. <laughs> Not happening. I'm going to say it. I mean, I mean, that's I'm why you, that's why you're the CEO of Ebony. Tell me, <laughs> tell, tell me this. What what kind of got you into the, the the business of media? What kind of like sparked your interest? I know that you you you've had a, an incredible career, but like what was kind of like the beginning of pulling you into that direction? You know, people got to pay attention to their surroundings. So my dad used to deliver food to Soul Beat Television. Okay, like it goes back that far. Okay, and I would watch them televise stuff, and I'm like, man, there's so much power in 
the stories they were telling, and it didn't have a big distribution, but they were telling stories I hadn't heard on general television. They were talking about the community and about violence and about, you know, kids doing well and like really immersing themselves in community. I was like, man, these are stories that need to be told. So I made a proclamation. Back then I was like, I one day I'm going to own a television network. And only my really close friends know this. I'm like, I'm going to own a television network one day. And when I got in the TV business, I was like, hell no, I'm not going to own a television network. This is too much work. But, you know, God heard that whisper when I was little and I said that and uh, I had an opportunity through an organization called the Walter Cates Foundation to get onto the media side. And although I was behind the scenes and generating revenue because I was a salesperson or a business development person, it allowed me to learn the business in an intimate way. And just because you enter a company one way doesn't mean that has to be your ending. So you find your passion and you build the right bridges and relationships. And so I entered into the business on the telecom side as a tax person, understanding numbers, but that allowed me to transition. So I combined my math skills with my hustle. And that made me an amazing salesperson for, for many, many years. Mm, and, and just to kind of go through all the different companies, you work for the Weather Channel, you work for CNN, <laughs> you work for CNN, like some of these major, major companies. What were you kind of experiencing in those companies? Like, did you feel like they were able to facilitate someone like you? Do you feel like they were able to facilitate, you know, the, the next generation of folks that were kind of coming in? What, what's coming, kind of yeah. what's kind of some of your insights about that? Uh, not then, not now. They still don't. <laughs> I mean, it's really it's really a shame because they know they need them in order to watch them because they're selling them products, because every television business is built on the back of either affiliate sales, meaning that they're getting money for being part of a cable provider mm-hmm. or through advertising sales. And most advertising sales are targeted towards us, because if we buy something and talk about something is cool. Right. And so we know we're that community, yet you don't want to hire us to sit at the table. And I just think it's just it's not smart because how can you even build a product for me? But I didn't have a say in what it looks like. And so the media business has a lot of work to do. Um, That was one of the one of the things that I love about the job that I have is I had I've had an opportunity to hire 35 amazing, brilliant black people. Wow. That um, probably would not get this same opportunity in corporate America because corporate America doesn't have enough vision. Mm. And that's coming from someone who's been in the corporate America space for a while. Many hallways, many hallways, many hallways. You say you say still not then and not now. I'm interested in your your perspective uh, around just kind of like the moment in time that we find ourselves in. You know, 2020 was a big, huge uh, inflection point around just race and blackness in America specifically, but around the world. Um, I'm really fascinated with, you know, corporate America's response and how they say like, oh, well, we need to like, you know, support the black community. We need to invest in the black community. We need to hire more black people. And what I hear from a lot of my colleagues who are in media is they'll say like, Brennan, just because you have a couple of more black faces does not mean that those black people have power, does Mm -hmm. not mean that they have influence and does not mean that they're getting paid. Right. And so, you know, if you think about like how media has really kind of like historically worked over the years, 
if you can take that 30K salary, right, or 20K salary, and your dad is a billionaire, right, and yeah. stick it out for 10 years, you might see some success eventually. But as a Black person who might not have generational wealth, it doesn't yeah. work or translate the same, right? So just because you diversify does not mean it's sustainable for those employees. Do you have any thoughts about that and just 2020 in general and the craziness? Well, I would say this is, you know, you what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of diversity and inclusion people hired and then they're hired and expected to fix the problem when they really don't have any power. Right. right? So that that to me is no good. And you see them building out, you know, employee resource groups. They have no power. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to anytime you're forced into action, I don't believe that is sincere. Mm -hmm. So I look at companies like a PNG. I look at a company like Coke. I look at companies that like McDonald's, who has the most black millionaires in any corporate setting, right? They're the, the franchisees, they just they they have more black millionaires than any other wow. company. They have been since the beginning of time. So they didn't really need to do a whole lot. They didn't need to do a pivot. Uh, and so I, I have my eye on companies now. So now you're kind of forced to do it because the spotlight is on you. But what are you going to do and how are you seeding into them? Are you giving them a real opportunity? And I'm watching. And now I have an opportunity to watch and tell that story. Mm. I'm going to do that. Mm-mm-mm. Do you do you um, do you see like change happening in the way that it should be? Do you feel like we're going in the right direction or do you feel like we're regressing in some ways? I feel like that, you know, it, it's, it was a spike and now we're just going to go back to always tease people. I was like, man, there's a lot of money falling into black media. I was like, we got to get it now because I'm sure they're going to try and put the brakes on some kind of way um, just to be super transparent, which would be a travesty because. We tell an an authentic story about this community and we're every day that we don't write something, something in history is left out that we know is necessary to record. Um, There's already a challenge in American society about black history. Mm -hmm. It's not taught in our schools. It's not. And so if we're not documenting it properly because we're not covering it and then you also don't feed and help support sustaining black media, and then who's covering that? Back in the day, Ebony was so powerful because it was recording black history. Matter of fact, I and this company own the largest repository of black history in the world. It's not possible that anybody has more information than us. 76 years Mm. Once a month, once a week with Jet, we recorded people's stories that no one else would record. Right. And so I say that it's it's so important that we exist and and companies have to support that in a meaningful way. And so I, I hope that just because we're in a season of time, I hope that there's a permanent change in, in how they handle us. Now, how they speak to us, don't you need to hire a couple of people so that they they too are at the table to to help you understand what's happening in the world today. It really is just about having the most powerful team at a table. And that can't look one way is it's, it's not possible anymore. Can't look one way. For, so I, I grew up 
um, having uh, Boomerang be one of my favorite movies. Um, I used to say, like, I want to work for a company like um, Marcus Graham. You see all these black people it's in New York City. It's super cool. Like, yeah. man, that's that's the that's the that's the move. Right. Um, you work for BET. And for, for many people, it's like BET is, it was like that black company to like, you know, you want to get into yeah. the media business. Like that's what, that's the way that you, that's, that's the route that you should go. You spent many years at BET. What was your time like? You know, listen, and everyone knows this BET is not black owned, right? They produce black content and they have some amazing black people that work there, but they're not black owned. So at the end of the day, the person making the final decision in that company is not of the culture. Mm-hmm. And so that's that that's just always a challenge. But BET is a force. They have done some amazing, great things. They have some amazing people um, that work there. They allowed me to do something that is part of my legacy that will be mentioned at my homegoing celebration that I had an opportunity to create BET Her the fo- first and still only network for black women. That's they great. did they allowed me to do that and they gave me the support in order to do that. So there's um there there's some love there there's also some hate there right because i had challenges there that any black person in corporate america would have mm-hmm. it's just it is what it is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't have those challenges now though you don't have those, those challenges now um, I do. so i mean again like you know when we talk about legends you know I, I want everyone to hear that again you created bet her the first network that catered to black women you see yeah. all of these different pivots and you see all these different changes now. You see all these different things now. But like you were the first to do that. So we definitely got to give you your flowers and that in respect, because I think that, you know, again, like people who do things when it's not cool or relevant or popular. Right. And then end up 10 years later being like, yeah, I told you, you should have listened to me. Um, I think that those are the folks who are going to, to go down to history being the most impactful. Um, Ebony Magazine, uh, one of the most legendary brands uh, of all time, historically known as the bastion of Black media and a force and a reckon, uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, you relaunched Ebony. <laughs> you relaunched Ebony. You have truly made it, um, you know, it it almost seems like it's coming back to its digital promise. Uh, and you've yeah. actually brought it back into the physical form too. It's now back in print. Tell us what that's been like. You know, you, you, you make it look easy. You make it look easy, Michelle. But like, I know <laughs> as you talked about the hustle, like no one can out hustle you. What was that? What has that relaunch been like for you? And, and what's the sense of responsibility that you carry? Yeah, man, we are really, um, we have a, such a big responsibility. Uh, myself and Eden Bridgman, who is um, the owner of the brand, her family, the Bridgman family purchased Ebony and they bought it out of bankruptcy. Um, and the reason the family bought it out of um, bankruptcy is a, is a word called legacy. And Eden really wanted to own a legacy brand. She wanted something for this community because her family, um, uh, th- their current business is in the food uh, business, right? And in the beverage business because they own quick service restaurants and they own a Coca-Cola distributorship in the heartland in Canada. So uh, it, it's been really amazing to, to touch a brand like this, that means something to so many people 
and to be able to bring it back to life in a way that is current and fresh that I believe Mr. Johnson would be proud of. So, you know, reviving the site um, with our editor in chief, Mariel Bobo and her team and the covers that are undeniable. Oh my gosh, undeniable. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, and we did them in a fresh way. They have movement to them. Right. And they have texture and context. And even though they're digital, you can still feel them and see them. Our, our digital team, the social team headed up by Kira is amazing. Like this sister so bad based in Atlanta and she's just doing great work and her and her team. And then, um, you know, we are we, we printed one time. We couldn't have done that without part, a partner like Olay. I got to give them their shout because they're trying to make sure that black women um, become scientists. And that was their their goal. And how what an honor for us to be able to put 10 beautiful black women on the cover that are in college still um, like that's amazing. And we couldn't have done that without that brand. So we were printing once going to go to twice a year. We're probably going to do some type of commemorative. People just aren't buying magazines in the in the same way. Right. Uh, and then um, with Ebony Studios, pushing out content that makes a lot of sense from our archives, from other people that have great ideas. We, we're going to do some great stuff. But what I'm really, really excited about is an opportunity to be in the crypto and NFT space and and building out our DAO and our metaverse. And we hired an amazing gentleman to help us build that out and, and Ty Cameron on the studio side. So there are some things and some places and spaces that Ebony didn't exist before that make a whole lot of sense for us to be in. So we're doing some things. And then the last piece is um, Ebony Publishing. I'm going to say something about all the different verticals that we're building out. Ebony Publishing is we're launching Viola Davis's book next month. So Viola will be on a cover. We're launching her book, you know, whatever, whatever else we can do, because a big word, any young person that wants to be successful, you got to find alignment and find synergies and economies of scale. And so we're doing that because if a book can come through the publishing side and we put them on the cover and then that becomes content, I'm, I'm, and then that content becomes part of my NFT platform. I've used every single piece of greatness about me to push something out, mm-hmm. which makes so much sense to me. Everything uh, combined. It is, yeah. And that has been part of our strategy. And I believe that's why we're going to be such a big success. I didn't even talk about apparel and beauty because we're going to go down that path too. But later on in 2023, and Jet is back as my technology company. I just hired a young uh, brother by the name of Dalen, who is going to be running that brand for us. And that's going to be my Jet technology. Back. Yes, back. That is incredible. Back. 43, Jet Beauty of the Week. Come on now. Oh, that's coming back too? In, in, in the way that it should, in the way that it should. Wow, <laughs> that is amazing. So, you know, I didn't even mention this to you, Michelle. My grandmother uh, used to be a reporter for Ebony. And oh, wow. Yeah. And like my family, I don't know, you can look in the archives, like literally we would get, my, my grandmother would send like weekly updates to Jet Magazine about little updates about what my parents or like my mom, my grandfather, whomever would do or whatever. But yeah, she was a, a reporter on the Hill and then she, uh, uh, she then left and then went and worked for um, a congressman as a, P, uh, a PR uh, secretary or person or whatever. But, uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, big respect to just like what you're doing. Did, did you ever feel like it was going to be just too much to like relaunch this brand and to like, you know, take it forward and to really kind of like revitalize the, the history? 
You know, we had looked at some other brands to acquire. And when this one became real, we really, you know, Eden and I and, and the family and I, I call Mr. B um, looked at it and the rest of their family and they and their team Bridgman. So I love the fact that they're all they're all in. Right. No matter what they buy, no matter what they do, they're all in. So when we realized we're like, man, Ebony and Jen, and then, then, you know, you start to dig and then you go to the vault where every single magazine is, is stored mm-hmm. every debt, every ebony, ebony, Africa, ebony, June. You realize, oh my God, this brand is a vault for this. No, there we every single every is stored in a in a in a secured air conditioned vault. Okay, <laughs> really, but it ain't your regular roll up and you storage facility. It's like. Yo, you got to go in, go through security. I can't even go in there unless I have an appointment. <laughs> like it's like that because this is how valuable these assets are. Wow. And it's part of our history. Um, and all of those assets have been digitized in high resolution so that now we can begin to create content and have conversations in a different way and have yeah. virtual conversations or real conversations. So, but, but when we realize we're like, man, this is an amazing opportunity And only God could have rolled it out and opened up the doors and created this opportunity uh, that we have before us. So not only is it a business opportunity, but I believe it is a divine opportunity um, for myself and for the Bridgmans and for our team to do something amazing and do some really great work for God that Mm. he's blessed us with. Mm, mm, mm. See, this is almost like a calling. It's almost divine. No, it is. I'm telling you, it is because my announcement went out on January 19th and it wasn't orchestrated. And when I Googled that date, I really just sat and couldn't believe it. It was John Johnson's birthday. Like I I just could not believe. And I just I was like, God, you're so funny. All you always got jokes. And I just like, man, this is divine order. E. And she's like, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we signed the paper on Martin Luther King's birthday wasn't orchestrated. That's just when the court told us to sign. And then like, whenever we signed, we had agreed that the next day I would be announced because I had been working with the Bridgman family for the last seven or eight months, trying to identify something to acquire on the media side. And, um, it just happened to be that. Wow. Can tell me. Yep. Here we are. Do, do, when you, when you, when you look back at your journey, do you, do you kind of think like, I never could have imagined to like, the CEO of this this mega house. Did you do you ever be like I can't believe it? Or are you like I always knew? Kind of like that little that little girl was like she knew she was going to like you know own a, a TV station. I said, yeah, I knew I was going to do something. I don't believe. I mean. When you grow up in Oakland, California, on one side of the railroad tracks and your dad worked hard and sold a couple of cars and you got to move to the other side, but not far from the other side, um, that you would ever have an opportunity to hold one of the highest positions uh, in corporate America. So, of course, you're, you're always thinking like, oh, I should be this. I should be that. I've earned the right. But just because we've earned the right work hard, raised our hand and asked for it doesn't mean that that we Uh, get an opportunity to serve in that role. That is why we become entrepreneurs 80% of the time so that we can be the boss and build a company. Um, But to be in corporate America at this level, I I actually did not see this, but I had earned it and I was prepared and ready for it. And I think that I am 
a visionary leader and 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 has and have a real opportunity to make this brand into something undeniable. Um, I mean, you know, what, you say, did, mm-hmm. what you've done in just a year, Michelle, is incredible. Literally. I mean, like, you know, all of the covers, all of the content, the way the content looks now, you know, what it feels like, the way the stories read. I mean, you're doing real editorial, you know what I mean? It's incredible. The Colin Kaepernick cover, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Nas cover, the Lena Wave cover. I mean, like, yeah. I'm watching, I'm like, yo, Ebony is bringing heat the stuff that you just, it's just stuff that you don't even see, you know what I mean? Like, you don't see, like, I mean, and Colin doesn't talk to nobody. <laughs> Yeah, we know it was uh yeah, we we had a meeting with him. It was like (laughs) yeah, he doesn't talk. And and for good reason, he's protecting his brand and 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 people every time he says something, they try and twist it up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's very protective of his voice and his brand. I have a lot of respect for him. Eden and I met with him, you know, on Zoom, of course, because of COVID, and had a real conversation about what we were trying to do and and he went on this journey with us, him and his team. And, and um, it was it was a great journey. And our photographers did an amazing job. It was one of the most responded to covers that we have launched to date. Wow. Over, over a billion impressions. Yeah. Clicked, wow. shared, talked about. And then the other one that was a brilliant was Andre Leon Talley um, and the artist that drew that cover for us. Why Vogue had Kim Kardashian on the cover in February, which was really their March edition, because anybody knows they put it early, but ours was a tribute to one of the greatest fashion folks ever. And it was nuts because he worked for them. So they got a lot of pushback on that. They're like, yo, Ebony all day Vogue is like, go get your stuff right. Yeah. Yeah. Go get your business right. Yeah. I mean, like, how do you, they, they missed that opportunity, they missed the opportunity. And then there was something, something wasn't connecting because why would you have Kim K on the, on black history month when you know how well, it's supposed to be for women's history month, March, but it always launches early, but they should have known to wait. Yeah. To wait. Uh, Michelle, I, I must ask you, you know, there are a lot of people when, when I told a couple of folks, I was like, yo, I'm talking to the CEO of Ebony. Like this is this is this is happening. Shout out to Coco. Yes. Um, <laughs> shout out to Coco. You know, a lot of folks who I know who I came up with in media, they left. They left media because they were burnt out. They left media because they were mistreated, underpaid, and they pivoted. Whether they pivoted, you know, out of the industry into something else. There was a like a mass exodus that happened around like 2016, 2017, 2018 of people who I knew and came up with in the industry. They were just gone gone so much talent and for the people who are left it's kind of like you're you're walking in trying to like maintain that sense of purpose but also maintain that sense of responsibility now for someone like me like i knew that i couldn't maintain that corporate space because as far as a corporate media space because i knew that there was only one thing in media that i wanted to do was to interview folks that's all i love interviewing and having conversations that's it but like you would never there was never an opportunity for me to do that so you have to build your own right for the folks who are who are looking at you and like yo she has been able to stay in this game and to continuously level up and level up and level up and be resilient and not quit you know what advice do you have for them i would say that 
what I learned because I spent 12 years, three jobs, same job title. I'm 12 years, three different companies, same job title. Let me repeat that. And so I was going from place to place hoping for a different outcome when I showed up in the same way. And so there are some things that I learned, you know, I paid attention to, right? So you have to pay attention to the culture and you have to build your strategy based on the culture because culture eats strategy. So I would go on the door and be like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, but I wasn't paying attention to how things were flowing to people, to the real decision makers, to where the power lied. And so when I learned that, then I was like, okay, so they hold the power. This is the culture they're setting for my department, not the company, forget the company. That's not the culture for every department, right? Because your day-to-day manager sets the culture. So when you're building and you're looking and you're trying to grow, you have to do that. The other thing that I did that was brilliant is I wrote a book. I told my story because when corporate America wanted to deny and make me invisible, when they demanded, I check my culture at the door because they were uncomfortable with it. What they couldn't deny is my voice and my voice in the marketplace became bigger than my job title because I wrote strategic. I said, women are strategic. Women can do this. This is my journey. And so then people started calling me about that book. Then I doubled down. And when BET Her was written, I had a book about women. I talked about black women in my book. I was running a black network. It's undeniable. So my question to anybody hearing this, what are you doing? How are you telling your story? How are you building your brand? How are you doing more than just what you're getting paid to do? Because that gets you a paycheck. Getting you promoted is being better, more, faster, quicker, thinking of innovative ideas, being a corporatepreneur. And so I would say that that is how I really got my hustle on. I said, okay, you know what? You don't want to hear me, but you're going to hear this because the whole world is going to be applauding this, even though you're too short-sighted in these hallways of corporate America to want to give me my just due. I went and got it another way. Went and got it another way. Michelle, my last question for you. You've mentioned legacy um, a couple of times, but not as it pertains to you. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, what do you hope for your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? Man, I want people to say that, um, that I genuinely built the most influential Black company in the world. And I did that because not only should my family have access and generational wealth and be able to flow in a certain way that makes them have a voice. But I did that for a whole bunch of other people too, because Mm. I can't be the most influential black media company unless I took some folks with me. Mm. That is what I'm going to be known for. And that is what I want to, I want to change people's lives. I want to give them a platform. I want to give them an opportunity to be a creator and, uh, and get paid. Right. I want to do all of that for this community. And I have an opportunity to do that. And so every day that I build is not only for my family, but it's for your family too. Mm-hmm. Michelle G, everybody, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much for your time. All right, cousin Brennan. <laughs>